You're listening to Booth One, your podcast destination for the finest in the art of lively conversation about music, theater, and popular culture. Why the classical music intro today? Well, we had the great privilege of visiting the Grant Park Music Festival on site at the magnificent Pritzker Pavilion in Grant Park and sitting down in conversation with principal conductor and artistic director Carlos Calmar and his colleague Christopher Bell, the Grant Park Chorus Director. For those of our listeners not from Chicago, I'm going to tell you why this is an important and vital episode. Since its inception in 1935, the festival has been a treasured part of Chicago's cultural landscape, presenting inventive music programs performed by a wide variety of world-class guest artists over the years, from Lily Pons and Van Cliburn to Mario Lanza, Rudy Valley, Yasha Heifetz, Paul Robeson... Aaron Copeland, Mitch Miller, Leonard Bernstein, Kathleen Battle, Pinchas Zuckerman, Storm Large, and even the Paris Opera Ballet. The Grand Park Music Festival is unique in all the world, in my opinion, in that its 10-week programming is free to any patron who wants to listen to world-class music in an open-air environment with a state-of-the-art sound system, making the experience feel intimate for each of the 10,000-plus listeners at every concert. Roscoe and I have taken advantage of many, many opportunities to listen to the Grand Park Orchestra in beautiful Millennium Park. Walking around the Great Lawn, one encounters music lovers of all ages and nationalities, hears dozens of languages, and sees joy on the faces of young and old alike. This festival should be an inspiration for many other cities in the U.S. and around the world. Let's listen as Maestro Kalmar and Christopher Bell tell us more about this extraordinary festival and share some personal bits of information about their work and their lives. Maestro, welcome to Booth One. It's our pleasure to have you as a guest today. Well, thank you very much for having me. As always, uh, the experience here at Grand Park and in Chicago is nothing short from overwhelming. Uh, first of all, this year, I'm so glad we have great weather. That's fantastic. Second, the terminology hitting the ground run running has been invented for this festival because we all get together on a Tuesday, start rehearsing at a pace that, is, that you have to travel long ways to find a pace that is so high. And on Wednesday, we already have our first concert and things gets so incredibly fast and uh, I also call it this festival this is the school of time management you time have, management that's yeah, a you good have to way manage to your time it. very well I was a production manager here for a season for you all and it, it is 10 weeks of time management and grueling non-stop well I'll call it fun it's a it's a don't <laughs> it's get me wrong fun. it's fun Fantastic fun because if it wouldn't be fun and if I wouldn't love everything about it, I love the audience and the people who come, meaning uh, the, the people from of Chicago and surrounding areas, the tourists who come, love them. I have a great orchestra. I have a phenomenal chorus. The way we work together is very collegial. So I, I'm I'm absolutely in love with this place. I have been doing this for a long time. You have, and you, you know, I have to I have to admit right off the bat that I'm always a little bit starstruck whenever we meet. We we've known each other a number of years, but your artistry and your musicianship 
are awe-inspiring. Um, I, I watch you from out in the house a lot. You don't get to see yourself out there, but uh, your command and your generosity towards the music and the musicians is something that really comes past the footlights, if we had footlights. I get that admiration society out of the way right now, and uh, maybe you can sign the photograph I hang on my wall each night. Congratulations. Well, th thank you very much. You're very much. welcome. Congratulations on your 17th season as the principal conductor here at the Grand Park Music yes. Festival, yeah. and you've been artistic director since 2011. You know, one of the things that makes the festival so popular and a fan and tourist favorite, other than the fact that it's free, each year, it's the variety of the programming and the unique and the timely selections of the pieces that you, in fact, choose. Are there any running themes or philosophies this year in 2016 that went into the process of your choosing the, the particular pieces that you're doing? You know, uh, I have heard this over and over that uh, so many of my colleagues sometimes want to put an entire season kind of under a theme. I have been... Uh, conducting for quite a while now and I was never really interested in such a thing there that's for me that is not the point the point for me is the word variety is one of the most important words for me because I think that and let's talk about the audience here in Chicago in particular because it's quite an unusual audience on one side, I have the people who know a lot about music and just love the festival and the venue, etc. And I have to cater to them. On the other side of the spectrum, I have people who might know some about music, but love, let's say, only the, what we call the good old war horses, meaning they want to hear pictures of an exhibition and Beethoven 9 and just stuff like that. You have to work for them because that is the greatest music ever written. Then I have people who just want to come uh, to hear us because we play pieces that we, it's their only chance to hear those pieces because our dear colleagues, uh, Chicago Symphony, simply cannot program that because they have to sell tickets. And lastly, and that even it's, it's kind of makes the spectrum of what we have to plan broader is I have quite an amount of people who never come to a concert. But they heard that this is actually a cool place and the music is so nice and you can sit in the grass and you can bring your kids. So I think that we as a festival are guilty, so to speak, of introducing a lot of folks to classical music. And if you think about all of these things, then it's it would be hard for me to put everything under the umbrella of one theme. I prefer to think, what do I have to do for this group? What do I have to do for that group? Etc. 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 Do I have room, which I of course adore, to do some commissioning? This is an important festival. Let's talk about some of the unique things, as you mentioned, that are on the program this year. You're doing something with the chorus. You're doing the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is rarely, rarely performed. Is that one of those that's you're going to give people something that they can't hear anywhere else? That is, it follows exactly that lead. I discovered this piece, I think it was two and a half years ago, and then I talked to Christopher Bell, our chorus director, and said, Christopher, do you know? Uh, and he didn't, and I said, you know, listen to it. This is a piece that I want to do. And yes, I'm very aware that this piece gets 
very, very rarely performed anywhere, including Czech Republic, where this piece is from. And the fact that we do it in English is a necessity, as far as I'm concerned, because I want actually always uh, people to understand what is being said, unless the piece is linguistically so incredibly important that I leave it in the original language. So, so, I mean, the German Requiem by Brahms, okay, first of all, everybody knows the German Requiem. Second, sorry, it has to be in German. Yeah, <laughs> Not exactly doing so. But in this case, the Epic of Gilgamesh is uh, a complex, unusual story, and it's also very interesting, very intense music lasts about 50, 53 minutes. And it brings you up a spectrum of what, to say it in very broad terms, about what life is about, the idea of immortality and understanding why life actually ends, is kind of an underlying theme of the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's a very ancient story. So I thought, let's bring it, because there are pieces in the repertoire, unknown pieces, where... I, as artistic director, know very well they have Grant Park written all over the score. Because my point is there is a lot of fantastic music out there and you, audience, you, musicians, should be exposed to that. It's not the point that we actually are going to play pieces, that piece in particular, the next 20 years four times. But you should, uh, your one-in-a-lifetime chance, take advantage of it. The, the Epic of Gilgamesh is not the only piece that works that way for this season. You're also doing a world premiere by a composer named Gandalfi, uh, Cosmic Garden in Bloom. Can you speak a little bit about that piece? The Cosmic Garden in Bloom is another one of the many, 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 many movements that Michael wrote uh, inspired by the Garden of Cosmic Speculation, which is in Scotland somewhere, which is a very spectacular garden. And I know that he started to write many years ago, just movements about this. He got inspired by this fascinating nature that is there. And he wrote most of the pieces, many movements exist by now for the Atlanta Symphony. Then we got to know Michael because he was one of the two composers whom we asked and commissioned to write a piece for chorus and orchestra when the chorus got to celebrate its uh, 50th anniversary. That worked out really well. And so we approached uh, Michael again and said, uh, Michael, would you be willing to write us another piece? And he said okay, I can fit you in my busy schedule. <laughs> and of, of course, it's not my point actually to tell a composer exactly what I need, to, what I want him to write. I leave composers kind of, uh, do you think? We were, and he wrote this. And you're performing it on the 5th and 6th of August here. Is it finished? Is he the still piece, the piece by now is finished. Yes, it is. Phew, good. Michael, Michael is, uh, I mean, he's a very, amongst others, not only a great composer, but a very practical guy. He knows very well that if he comes at the beginning of July and says, I'm going to be done in two weeks, we are going to be a little bit nervous. 
Carlos, you live in Portland with your wife and young son. You're also the music director of the Oregon Symphony and have yes. been for many, many years. When you're here in Chicago during the summer, what kinds of things do you like to do? What do you take advantage of? I, I know you're working awfully, awfully long hours, um, but you must have some free time. Are you a restaurateur type person or...? Um. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there, there are, of course, a couple of things that I really like to do. I love the lakefront. I go on my bike on that. I've and seen you arrive at rehearsal with your bicycle. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do that all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And aside from that, the reality is, yes, restaurants, good food are something that my wife and I enjoy very much. So this is a great place. And I'm looking forward to our next restaurant visit here in Chicago. Aside from that, I have to admit, this festival is so incredibly intense that I don't have much time. I'm happy, actually, if uh, we as a family can take just a stroll somewhere in a park, and that's it. It makes me very comfortable, relaxed, and happy, because this uh, festival, it's a very big festival, and it's a lot of work very positive, intense work, and I need to prepare. Speaking of strolls in the park, have you had a chance uh, in the last number of years to actually listen to a full concert from out on the lawn? You were very much involved in the design and implementation of the sound, what do we call it? The sound grid, the sound web, the sound it's lattice? A, I always call it the sound system, and it's uh, it works on trellis that is uh, kind of over the grass and over the seating area. I have heard very little, very little. I don't think I've ever heard a full concert. I heard uh, some rehearsal when I arrived early, and there was a colleague of mine still rehearsing. And I remember once upon a time I went to a movie night long, it's quite long ago, but we were already in Pritzker. For me, it's always fascinating if I have uh, that t amount of time to actually walk around uh, and not to sit still. Because the fascinating thing about this is when you walk into the back of the, of the grass area, you are, visually speaking, very far away from the stage. But what you hear is still absolutely first-class quality. It's very intimate, even on the back yeah, of the lawn. Yeah. I, love, is, I love walking around yeah, out there. That, that is actually a fascination. But unfortunately, time has its limitations. The season, it's full of works by, I noticed, by American composers this year. And that's not unusual for any season. Is this something you've been conscious of cultivating in the Grand Park Music Festival over the years? Absolutely. I think... For me, there are many reasons. First of all, and this is not the, the, the number one reason, but if I may start by talking about myself, I am uh, European, I'm, I'm Austrian, I was musically trained mostly in Vienna, and my knowledge of American music when I was a student and even in the first couple of years of my professional life was pretty close to zero. And then I got actually in contact with uh, this festival and Grand Park. And we started thinking about uh, American music. And over the years, we made this to-go-to festival when you want to hear American music that actually not so many others play. 
personally, I just think this is a very big country. There is a great amount of talent, musical talent in this country. And it should not be forgotten. I also think that the audience, since it's such a diverse audience, should uh, be exposed, as should be the musicians of the orchestra and chorus, to American music. Because, you know, I look at it from very different angles. Uh, one of them is pure and simple. Listen up, guys. It's American music. It's very good music. Just listen to it. That's one. But the other thing is, I am Austrian, and we as Austrians and as musicians, we live and thrive on the word heritage. Because the, maybe you can say the greatest classical music ever written was written either by Austrians or other composers who were living in Austria at some point. It's slightly an overstatement, but let's say. So we cultivate that. And then you come to America, and America is a very young country. cannot be compared to something like that. And the cultivation of what I call heritage as far as classical music is concerned, is just not so fantastic. And I think we, as uh, the Grand Park Music Festival, we can help with that. So in this season in particular, you will see two symphonies they are interesting enough in the same concert, which are absolutely crucial symphonies as far as what was the great works of the 20th century that American composers brought to life. And we are talking about uh, Walter Piston Symphony 2 and uh, Roy Harris Symphony Number no. 3. And the point is we are talking about two works, mainly Roy Harris Symphony, that 30, 40 years ago or something like that were being played over and over. They were incredibly popular. And then they disappeared. And you look at the piece and you think, yeah, but it's actually fantastic music, so... Why? And I, it's not my job to analyze why or to put blame on anybody. I think everybody does what, uh, what they can. But I am a firm believer that we as an American festival in the middle of the United States, Chicago, we have not only the opportunity, but we have, it is our duty to not look away from what happened here in America, musically speaking. Carlos, you've been variously described in newspapers and reviews uh, as gutsy and precise, graceful and intensely propulsive. That's one of my favorites. Mm. Athletically vigorous and crystal clear and transparent. This is in relation not to your personality so much, but into your conducting style. If you were to describe in just a few words your conducting style of your own or philosophy, what would you say? Of all this description, I mean, I am very grateful if somebody describes uh, my conducting as such uh, in, and in so wonderful positive terminology. For me, there are two words that are very important. Transparency is one. And intensity, if you translate intensity in part to energy, that's important. 
athletic, yeah, fine, yeah, <laughs> sure, I, I think, oh, fine, the athletic will go away because I'm getting older, <laughs> never mind, but... Well, I uh, think you came out in a Cubs jersey, oh, Blackhawks jersey yeah, last year well, they, they at one the of the concerts. The thing is that I don't like to analyze uh, what actually I do and where my, if any, where strengths are. I think, clar I hear from people that the word clarity is very accurate. And it's, I always look for clarity in music and I think that it is very important for an interpreter to make it as apparent as possible to everybody what the composer actually meant through the lens of the interpreter. But that's, that's another thing that we could have a long <laughs> discussion. Is that about. what you mean by transparency? The, transparency the... is meaning don't be blurry. I'm, I am absolutely against blurry. I like things to be very, very clear. And I actually can imagine that uh, that refers also to the way of me conducting and the way I address whatever is uh, there, there. There are not so many doubts there. But other than that, you know, as long as the audience has a really great experience in the concert that I lead, whether it's high energy, athleticism, propulsiveness, or that, for me, fine. It, as you can hear, it doesn't really matter because, honest to God, I don't think about those things. For me, just on a personal level of being a musician, one of the words that are very important to me, aside from energy, intensity, and clarity, is honesty. Be honest, meaning be yourself. Don't make something up. Very important for an artist in, in any field of honesty. I know that you uh, have at a concert tonight, so uh, I'm going to let you go, but I have one final question for you. If you could try any other profession in the world, with no limitations, other than being a conductor and a musician, what would that be? I actually have thought about this when I was young, which is kind of a while ago. And I remember saying to friends when I was probably 21 or 22 that if there would be anything other than music, I would be interested in politics, which left my friends laughing because you sa they said, you are so much untalented for something like that. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Now, we are talking way, way later, and uh, I'm very, very happy where I am, and I cannot imagine doing something else. And unfortunately, the life, political life, in the world in general, has gone to places where I simply don't want to go anymore. And I, you know, when you are young and you think about something like politics, sorry to kind of say that, <laughs> now that you asked, and okay, I said actually it would have been politics, is I think it's very important as a politician to have a vision. It's also very important as a human being to have a vision. And I don't see that anymore because the way politics are nowadays, in these troubled times, vision is not what most of the politicians have. Well, if you brought the kind of 
uh, clarity and transparency and honesty to politics as you do to your music, you would have had my vote no matter what office you ran for. Oh, thank you very much. Other things that I'm looking forward to on the program coming up this uh, season are your Tchaikovsky Spectacular, which I think is a fantastic name for an evening. And that will be certainly right in the center of, of public popularity. Everybody loves Tchaikovsky. But you know, I'm glad we get back to music. That is, again, that's a typical Grand Park program. Because Tchaikovsky, what do colleagues do when it comes to Tchaikovsky spectacular program? They will play violin concerto or piano concerto number one, and they will play Tchaikovsky six or uh, or probably number four, which you can turn around and have the audience sing. And what do we do? We play, yes, we play the first piano concerto, but in a version that is a little bit unusual. It's more the original version. The changes are most of the time not so crucial. And then instead of symphony number four, we play the suite number three. When do you hear that? You don't get to hear it. You don't. But you come to us and hear a Tchaikovsky spectacular with a piece of Tchaikovsky that you will adore because it's very good, but you will have not heard it many times. I'm also looking forward to August 19th and 20th, which is pretty much towards the end of the season. It might be your last weekend. Uh, the Berlioz, The Damnation of Faust uh, with the full chorus. You know, I, as, you, as you mentioned at the start, I have been here. This is my season number 17. And still I think I can count on one hand how many pieces in these 17 years have been repeated. Because I am a firm believer, repertoire is big. You don't need to repeat things, not even in 15 years. Damnation of Faust is something we already did here, but not in this not not here at, at yeah, the Pritzker. It was, it's what it's the year two thousand or two thousand one. This is, I believe, the twelfth season in the Pritzker. Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, it's time, and it will be. I I look so much forward to that event because it will uh, show everybody what has happened in sixteen years. Now I have, I am surrounded by world class. And there's a lot of people in Chicago who heard that the first time it was played, and they'll be able to compare and contrast. Absolutely. Maestro, thank you so much for your time today. We so appreciate you being on Booth One. I hope you had a good time, and thanks for your honesty. <laughs> thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Christopher Bell, welcome to Booth One. We thank are you. delighted to have you here today. I know you're a busy man. We're here during rehearsal, and you've got to get back out there because you've got the chorus rehearsal coming up very shortly, don't you? Absolutely. Chorus is arriving. We've got Beethoven sounding in the, in the park as we speak. I can almost hear it from here. Congratulations on your 15th season as chorus director of the Grand Park Music Festival. That's you're, quite the accomplishment. You're very sweet. I've managed to survive 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> and they've managed to survive you as well. And some people would say we're doing really rather well with the relationship. That, that's fantastic. I haven't heard of any bloodshed or fisticuffs. Not recently. Not, not in recent memory whatsoever. Uh, in, fairness, in fairness now, when a new director appears, when a new director appears and there's a change in direction a little bit in an ensemble, um, there needs to be some, let's call it, alignment of expectations. <laughs> um, and uh, during the alignment process, uh, perhaps... 
uh, if it's not bloodshed, perhaps there's certainly um, uh, some conversations to be had. That, that being said, uh, certainly in recent years, uh, there hasn't been any of that. Let's talk about this current year. Which of the Grand Park concerts uh, with orchestra and the chorus are you particularly excited about this season? I noticed that there's quite a number of very large, very challenging pieces. What what are you looking forward to? Is it uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, perhaps, or uh, one of those pieces later in the season? The interesting thing about Grand Park is we are still in a situation where we feel we can push the envelope on some of our programming. We have been an organization in the past that has been well known for championing uh, American music, seeking out unknown or neglected pieces in the repertoire, be the American or, or European or indeed um, South American or Australian. Mm-hmm. When, when it comes to the choral programming, Carlos is particularly strong on these big choral works. So we do end up with some really interesting repertoire for chorus and orchestra. I'm very excited about the Michael Torquay piece. Uh, I met Michael Torquay uh, when he was composer in residence with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, where I was chorus director. And we did this piece, uh, Book of Proverbs, there with Myron Alsop many years ago. And I've been looking forward to an opportunity to reprogram it. So when we were looking for something lively, vibrant, and hopefully American to open our season, Book of Proverbs was where we landed. So I'm very excited about that. And Michael's in attendance um, to hear how, how that's all going. Uh, Epic of Gilgamesh is one of those uh, on the highways and byways, more the byways of the, the choral repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not often done. Um, it's not often done, if at all, in the United States, and it's frequently not done in English in, in Europe. It's frequently done in either Czech or one of the other Slavic languages. That's a first for Grand Park, and first for certainly Midwest, I, I can't say for anywhere else. Epic of Gilgamesh is extraordinary music. What I will say is, speaking personally, it's a little bit quasi-Shakespearean from 1928. So it's somebody in 1928 writing what they thought Shakespeare might have made of this particular text. Interesting. So it's a bit, it has some rather strange moments, but actually text-wise, but musically, it's absolutely extraordinary. I'm so looking forward to that. You're doing that on uh, July 1st and 2nd, yep. Friday and Saturday. Speaking of Shakespearean, tell us about the program uh, that you have planned for the two outreach concerts uh, with the chorus uh, this year. Uh, you're going to be appearing again at the South Shore Cultural Center on July 26th. Two days before, you'll be at the Columbus Park Refectory. They sound like fascinating pieces, and they feature some sort of Shakespeare-inspired selections, I noticed. Tell me about the programming. So yes, of course, 2016, 400th uh, celebration for uh, William Shakespeare. Been a lot of Shakespeare, of course, uh, performed in the United Kingdom. And I see and hear, and I'm thrilled to see that there's a a lot of celebration uh, in the United States and certainly in Chicago as well. So I wanted to put together a Shakespeare celebration. Some of these pieces I've done before, wanted to bring them to a Chicago audience. One or two are new to me. Uh, and will be very new to the Grand Park Chorus as well. That happens frequently, actually, when I put my program together for the a cappella concert. Uh, mm-hmm. It's frequently new music, even mm-hmm. if even if some of the composers' names uh, are, are well known. So we're starting way back in the 1600s with Morley and Arne. We've got some 19th century stuff, 20th century stuff, I beg your pardon, with Vaughan Williams. And then the rest of it is all uh, 20th or 21st century American composers responding to the Shakespeare texts. Those two venues are have become great favourites for me. Um, the South Shore Cultural Centre is such 
an extraordinary building. It's a spectacular room that you perform in as well with the glass uh, windows behind you. Just gorgeous. A little bit smaller than the concert hall. And we have had a conversation as to whether we should move into the concert hall down there because we could accommodate more people. More seating, sure. But the truth is the charm of that concert is being able to sing in that kind of candy pink venue. um, With the windows all around. Uh, The audience comes and they're hearing this extraordinary music and they have a view of the of the lake and the park and it, it's just amazing and then, uh, and then Columbus Columbus Park it's a very favorite building because it's that particular style of Chicago but it is a very charming building and when I have guests staying I like to get them to come to that concert if they can because sitting in the middle of the park with the Jenks inspired garden is just Yeah, you can sit inside and you can sit outside at that concert because they set up an audio system for the patio. Absolutely. That's always really, really fun. Let's talk about 4th of July. That's one of your appearances as a conductor here every year. Anything exciting and different about the 4th of July concert this season? I I anticipate you'll be dressed in your traditional sartorial splendor. Uh, I feel that in the past I've perhaps understated the possibilities of the red, white and blue on the 4th of July. And so I've ramped it up this year. Oh, you think people haven't noticed enough? I see. (laughs) So I'm telling you that I think I've probably understated my dress in the past. And you're looking at me going, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, But I have ramped it up this year. Um, It is extraordinary. I'm hoping I won't be arrested. I am trumpeting the red, white and blue in quite an extraordinary fashion. What's what's interesting about uh, July 4 this year is, I suppose I would describe it as a rather special guest list. The Grand Park Orchestra is not playing on July 4th. It's in fact going to be the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra. Extraordinary. Um, that, that orchestra appeared with us last year uh, accompanying the Blue Man Group. Mm-hmm. Particularly special for me, um, 20 years ago I formed a youth group in Scotland, the National Youth Choir of Scotland. From faltering beginnings in 1996, where 58 people got together and uh, did a residential course and managed to put on a couple of concerts. That organisation has turned into quite an extraordinary group with four national choirs, 15 regional choirs, an education and publishing programme that sets the National Youth Choir of Scotland up as one of the leading youth organisations in Europe. Last year they were singing with Sir John Elliot Gardner. The year before they were singing with Donald Runnicles at the London Proms. We have an invitation for the London Proms this year and I'm delighted to say that on their way to sing with Donald Runnicles in Wyoming at the Grand Teton Festival, they're stopping off in Chicago and they're singing with me on the 4th of July. Oh, fantastic. So lots of the music is exactly what you would expect on the 4th of July. 1812 Overture, America the Beautiful, Armed Forces Salute, all those pieces that have become intrinsic to our 4th of July celebration um, at Grand Park. One of the most moving things for me is when we play the Armed Forces Salute and we invite people who served in their particular force. So it's all the anthems from the various different forces. When we invite the Marines to stand or the uh, the Navy to stand, mm-hmm. that is very moving as the as the anthem is sung for them. Alongside that, uh, we're going to be, I hope, indulged by being allowed to sing a couple of Scottish folk songs. We're also singing some American folk songs, and there'll be some extracts from West Side Story, and you name it, toe-tapping, moving, an important celebration of United States independence. That's very exciting that the National Youth Choir of Scotland will be singing. Uh, Congratulations to you. Now, you do a lot 
Well, extensive work with youth and junior choruses all over the world, particularly in Scotland, as you mentioned. What do you find so rewarding about working with these young singers? Uh, it's the potential. It's the potential and the lack of um, cynicism. They still walk through the door, their tail is still wagging, they still think the rest of their lives is going to be essentially positive and that the curve of experience is always up. And those of us who are a little bit older realise that the progression in life has its ups and downs. It's not always a constant move upwards. And so when somebody who's been in a chorus for and I'm not talking about the grandpa chorus, because actually one of the interesting things about the grandpa chorus is that they bring a kind of enthusiasm, a college choir enthusiasm to the professional job that they do. And that's, that's very invigorating and very um, uplifting, working with Grand Park. In our professional lives, sometimes gigs don't go so well. And you pick yourself up, dust yourself down and, and move on. That's the way it has to be. So working with children, young people, it's always about potential. They're wanting to get better. They're wanting to move and advance up the scale. They're interested. They listen. And they basically do most of what you tell them to do. Uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't edit it out with the thought that, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We're going to ignore that. So that, that's one of the beauties of working with young people. What, what are and the youngest singers that you actually work with? Seven and eight-year-olds. Uh, wow. um, my uh, children's choir that's attached to the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. So that's the RSNO Junior Chorus. And we recruit them aged seven and eight. And so they're the youngest people. And that's very charming. And for three years, it's marvellous. And then, of course, the teens set in and the hormones start to dance around. And there are three or four years there, which aren't quite so marvellous. That's a little difficult to deal with. And then suddenly they come out of that fog, which is growing up. And there they are. They'll stop you in the corridor and say, hello, Mr. Bell. And you kind of think, oh, there you are, back. Because they didn't answer you for three years. You say hello to them and they just go, oh. There they are, out of the fog of growing up, and suddenly they're mini adults, young adults, in, sure, interested in re-engaging with the adult world, forgiving their parents for everything that they did, you know, all that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, you no, know, it's, it's kind of what it is. I don't imagine that's just a UK and Europe thing. I'm sure that happens in the US it, as well. It does indeed. Were you mentored much like that at a young age as well? I was a cathedral chorister, and I remember my choir master there as being an important influence. He was a stickler for detail. Was this back in Ireland? Back in Ireland. I was, uh, it was St. Anne's Cathedral in Belfast, uh, and I was a chorister for four years. Um, and then when my voice changed, I kind of was an alto briefly, then a tenor, then a baritone, and then a kind of second tenor. I don't really sing anymore, though people occasionally, when I say that, say, stop saying that, you can sing, but I can't sing. Mm. I sing. Mm. And any should any of the Grand Park choristers be listening to us, they'll go, yep, you might be able to sing, but you can't sing. <laughs> so you couldn't jump in and replace somebody in the tenor section, for instance? Not easily. Not easily. Actually, not at all. If I were to ask one of the Grand Park chorus members currently to describe your personality and demeanor and your choral directing style, what do you think they would say? <laughs> You really, really should ask them. Are you a taskmaster as a choral director? I think so, but sometimes sometimes I get the impression they would say, some of them would say, push the envelope a little bit further. You need to gauge what's happening in the room. You know, um, there is only so far you can go before you kind of lose the room. And so sometimes you need to pace the development over a couple of rehearsals in order to achieve what you're wanting. You can't necessarily absolutely drive it home. At the same time, sometimes when 
when push comes to shove? Is that an expression in the United States? Absolutely. Sometimes when push comes to shove, you have to drive it home. You have to drive it home. And those are the moments when everybody realizes just how serious it is. Well, I like to think I like to think they would say that uh, I was strict enough to demand to demand a standard and to, to demand um, a quality of performance alongside um, keeping a light-hearted, relatively light-hearted atmosphere in the, um, in the rehearsals. Well, I have spoken to some chorus members in the past, and um, they are thrilled to be part of the chorus and thrilled that you're their director. Well, and after 15 years, you must be doing something right. Uh, or, or, as I say, not being found out. I have a final question for you. It's, it's, it's sort of a personal one. What is the one thing that you own that you probably should get rid of, but you absolutely know that you never will? Is there something you hang on to? Uh, I'm going to give you two possibilities. One is an actuality. One is a real thing, which is a gift that uh, a first love gave me, and I've retained it. And one of the things that you probably, whilst you can't forget the first time you fell in love, if the gift means that you can't find anybody to replace or find anybody that matches that first time, maybe that gift should be put away because it's impossible to recreate that first thing. Is it possible to tell us what that gift was or you want to keep that private? It's it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. It's a little quartz rock. It's a you know, it was a just it's a kind of little thing. And in a way maybe it needs to be put in a box and buried deep. <laughs> um, a, 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 a real or metaphorical box uh, and, and, and buried deep because maybe it holds you back. What's the second thing? Anyone who knows me realizes that I have a vast number of pairs of shoes. Ladies have a lot of shoes and a lot of handbags. And so when you tell a lady that you might have 140 pairs of shoes, they go, oh, but they don't go, oh, that's a ridiculous number of pairs of shoes to have. They kind of say, oh, I don't know many men who've got 140 pairs of shoes. Um, <laughs> when, you say it to, when you say it to a guy, they kind of say, I've got three pairs of shoes and I only wear two of them. You know, Usually, one, yeah. One's for best, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> the other two are one's black and the other's brown. And do we count my trainers? You know, la, la, la. So I probably shouldn't have a cupboard full of shoes. I probably shouldn't. But I do. And why? It brings a sparkle to my life. It's something that I enjoy. It's frequently an easy way for people to start a conversation with me. That's not why I have them. But it is frequently an easy way for people to start a conversation because they come along and they look and then they go, oh, my goodness, I've never seen anybody in red and green striped shoes. You must have a large cupboard or closet where you keep all of these shoes. Uh, two. Two closets. One specially constructed with kind of drawers that you slide in and out and the, the shoes sit on top of shoe I am, trees. I am not surprised. Your shoes always bring a sparkle to all of our lives. Uh, you make yourself very approachable and uh, you have been a delightful guest. Uh, Thank we you. We appreciate it. We're here on site in the piano rehearsal room at the Pritzker Pavilion in Millennium Park. You can hear the orchestra tuning in the background. They're getting ready to start their second half of rehearsal. Christopher Bell, thanks for the time on Booth One today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day.
We hope you enjoyed these intimate chats with Carlos Calmar and Christopher Bell. I want to thank the Grant Park Music Festival and Director of Marketing and Media Relations Jill Hurwitz for arranging unlimited Booth One access to these two remarkable gentlemen. For information on Grant Park Music Festival concerts and events and open rehearsals, go to grantparkmusicfestival.com. And join us on Booth One next time when we'll be talking to world-acclaimed writer Stuart Dybeck right here in our studios. Meanwhile, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and visit our website at www.booth-one.com for more information about this and past programs and to sign up for our mailing list and get a guide to creating your own Booth One experiences. For Booth One, I'm Gary Zabinski saying so long until next time.